Election College, Episode 306, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Part 2. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, we are camping out on the topic of Dwight D. Eisenhower because, hey, why not? I'm camping right now. Are you camping? Because it's like the way you live now. It is the way I live, but I'm staying at a state park. Actually, uh-huh. it's about... 15 miles away from where I grew up and it's kind of a cool state park because it's called Big Bone Lake crazy name I know but this is where TJ Thomas Jefferson you know our buddy uh-huh well maybe not our buddy yeah <laughs> he had some yeah. he had some flaws yeah but he had Lewis and Clark come out here at different times to bring back mastodon bones to him. So I don't think there's any mastodon bones here anymore because TJ took them all. (laughs) So what these early explorers did is they took the mastodon bones from Kentucky and shipped them all over the place, like even London. And yeah, they still find fossils here, but there's a salt lake. And this is where these, some would say prehistoric, I guess my worldview says that there's nothing pre that predates history because history right. is history, right? <laughs> right, right. But yeah, this is where, you know, Native Americans and French and British and Americans came and pillaged the land. And are, are there it's still like cool place. are there still like active digs and stuff there? There are things that happen uh here. And they did just open a museum. I mean, when I say just did, like within the last 20 years, they opened a museum that has, you know, the story of the mastodons and some of the other creatures that lived here. And it is pretty crazy because you'll see, if you do an internet search, you'll see some of Jefferson's writings, you know, talking about, hey, they found some elephant type bones in Kentucky. Uh And yeah. I'm here right in the midst of all of that. They did bring back bison uh-huh. um, in the early 90s. They brought back a herd of bison. And I'm kind of excited because I think there's like four bison that were born recently. So nice. We're going to go check that out. But that'll be cool. But yeah. This is my, I hate to say this, I'm not comparable to a elephant or mastodon (laughs) but this is this really is my old stomping ground right right yeah it's kind of funny you're back there for a little while and moving all around the country yeah and speaking of old stomping ground uh soon we'll be in the hershey area which is near gettysburg how do you like this for a segue yeah and good old ike dwight d eisenhower he had his only house there in Gettysburg. And the story of Ike in Gettysburg doesn't start necessarily uh, with him being an older man. It actually kind of begins during World War I 
when the U.S. enters World War I, he requests an overseas assignment. And his commanders are like, nope, you're going to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. He's like, great. <laughs> but in February of 1918, he gets transferred to Camp Meade, uh, which is in Maryland. And the unit was ordered to go to France, but he gets promoted to lieutenant colonel in the National Army. And his first command is at the site of Pickett's Charge, right there on the Gettysburg battlefield. Yeah, and so he does some uh, training there. He trains some other people there as well. And then uh, basically they receive orders to go to France. And Jason mentioned France a minute ago, but uh, he is pretty excited about that. But armistice, which is a good thing, happens a week before he is supposed to depart. And so basically he feels a little bit depressed. You can imagine, you know, he's a soldier. He wants to serve his country. He wants to feel like he's personally making an uh, impact and a difference. And it leaves him kind of bitter uh, and a little bit depressed that he missed out on going overseas and and fighting hands-on in the war. And he even receives the Distinguished Service Medal for all the good work he had done with training and teaching other people and stuff like that. Uh, But he still just feels like things are a little lackluster for him. Um, So after the war is over, he goes back to his regular rank. He becomes captain again. But then he pretty quickly gets promoted to major, which is is, um, a rank he had already had for a long time. And so... uh, he becomes a major and he again heads over to Camp Meade in Maryland and heads up a battalion of tanks once again. And he's there uh, for about three or four years until uh, he meets up or, or during that time he meets up with George Patton uh, and some other guys who were, you know, in charge of tanks and all that kind of stuff. Some, some big names that you'd probably recognize. Yeah. And when you think about Dwight D. Eisenhower, you've, think of a guy who follows the rules and makes the rules but get this he and generals Patton and Brett uh, or should I say future generals Patton and Brett uh, he's hanging out with them and they have some ideas that are um, oriented towards these speed oriented offensive tank warfare weapons and his superiors are like nope we don't want you to focus on that. And Eisenhower is threatened with a court-martial because they're producing these pamphlets that are like, this is how we need to deploy tanks. And, well, Eisenhower being the good guy, of course, relents. He says, okay, I'll stop publishing these cutting-edge methods because, you know, I don't want to go to jail. Yeah, He serves under a succession of generals and becomes the uh, executive officer to General Connor in the Panama Canal Zone. And he and Mamie uh, start their service down there in 1924. He studies military history and Connor compliments Eisenhower. He says, Eisenhower is one of the most capable, efficient, and loyal officers I have ever met. And because of this recommendation 
from Connor of being a total rock star before rock and roll was even a thing. He attends the Command and General Staff College at, you know it, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. He graduates at the top of his class and then serves as a battalion commander at Fort Benning, Georgia until 1927. So during this time, after he is uh, there in Fort Benning, so during the next decade or so, next 15 years, he really doesn't move upward or, or anything. Um, a lot of the military in the United States was you know, kind of diminishing in priority, less funding, all that kind of stuff. A lot of his friends and people he had come up with through the ranks uh, were leaving the military to go to uh, different businesses and basically things that would pay them uh, more than scraps. And he is kind of not really sure what he, what he wants to do during this time. Uh, he does go and help out with uh, his brother, Milton Eisenhower, uh, who had been in the agriculture department, produce a guide to American battlefields in Europe, which, by the way, uh, I don't know if I still have it, but at one point I did have my hands on uh, a replica of that guide, which is kind of cool because I was yeah. uh, I was teaching some... Uh, some history courses at a college and had that as something that we never got to it. But anyway, he helped pen that, uh, helped, helped do it up. Uh, he ends up going to France for a year. Uh, when he comes back, he serves as an executive officer to General Mosley, who is the assistant secretary to war. And then a little later, he serves on the faculty at uh, the Army Industrial College, which is now the Industrial College of the Armed Forces. And they end up naming it after him later, but that's a spoiler. Uh, <laughs> but during this whole time where he's kind of like, oh, I'm not really sure what's going on. Like, I don't feel like I'm moving up too much. And, you know, he's still kind of got that, oh, if only I could have fought in the big war. They're using him, not using him in a bad way, but using him to help plan for the next war which they know is going to happen eventually. And you don't know necessarily when or where or, uh, exactly how it's going to go, but they know that something's going to come. And this is during the time of the Great Depression, of course. So he is uh, right next to, like right underneath General Douglas MacArthur, who was the chief of staff of the army. And you could say that he is really having an impact there for sure. Um because MacArthur recommends him in a couple different ways. And uh, he's helping, like I said, prepare for the next war that's going to be coming here in a, in a couple minutes. Yeah, so he accompanies uh, MacArthur. He's there. They're in the Philippines. It's 1935. And Eisenhower has his disagreements with MacArthur regarding the role of the Philippine army and the leadership qualities that American officers should have and how they react and conduct themselves uh, to their subordinates. And what ends up happening is there's this rift between Eisenhower and MacArthur, and it lasts for the rest of their lives. But a lot of historians say that, you know what, I candled himself pretty well. And just as a, a little side note, Ben, man, MacArthur would be a really interesting guy to do a podcast about, but he wasn't elected to anything, I don't think. Yeah. Well, again, I think our, our audience, we've mentioned doing that kind of thing before. 
just likes history, hopefully. So someday, maybe. I guess we can just be honey badgers and do whatever we want. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, MacArthur. I wonder what it would have been like to sit down with him and share a few years together with him, if that would have been a difficult thing to do. He was definitely an interesting guy, that's for sure. Yeah. So a lot of historians, like I was saying, are saying that, you know, Ike handled himself pretty well. And this actually helps him in the future because he's dealing with personalities like Winston Churchill and George Patton and George Marshall and General uh, Montgomery uh, during World War II. And Ike is like, well, you know what? There's a lot that you are making much ado about nothing with this whole MacArthur uh, situation because really everything's cool between the two but I digress yeah yeah while they're in Manila Mamie suffers a life-threatening stomach ailment and you know that's probably got them thinking hmm I may not want to spend too many more years here in the Philippines but they they spend a couple more uh, years and while they're still there the Philippine president is like you know what Eisenhower you should become the chief of police of our new capital city. And Ike is like, no. MacArthur's like, hey, you should. <laughs> yeah. And Ike is like, no. So in December 1939, Eisenhower goes back to the U.S. and is assigned as a commanding officer uh, there in Fort Lewis, Washington. And he gets promoted in 1941 to a colonel. And he just keeps on moving on up. So after the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor, Eisenhower gets assigned to Washington to be general staff. And he serves there basically until June of 1942, which is, you know, pretty near the war's end, to help with creating the plans to help defeat Japan and Germany. And at one point he gets uh, appointed deputy chief in charge of Pacific defenses, which is kind of a funny title but it's uh, certainly a prestigious one and he continues to do well and uh, you could really say he helped change the tide of the war a couple different ways um, in 1942 he goes back to London and he's there as the commanding general in the European theater and he gets promoted to lieutenant general July 7th 1942 and he is just picking up titles left and right. Next, he gets to be the Supreme Commander Allied Expeditionary Force of the North American Theater of Operations, which is <laughs> like the longest title on earth. Um, Man, his business card was probably the size of a belt. Uh, I get the feeling that he didn't have a business card. But you have to imagine that a name like that that you don't hear all that often, they probably had some kind of pen for it, like that he would wear on his on his official uniform. And that would have, you know, who, who knows what that pen means. So... Yeah, <laughs> it's like back off me. I'm important. Yeah, yeah. Um, he does have to deal with like different personalities and and stuff with uh, you know the French, especially. Um, the French are very important to what's happening in World War II, but they're not real uh, united in the way they want to approach that. So he goes in and has to um, try to persuade them, and. 
it doesn't necessarily go well. A lot of crazy things happen, um, but we all know how uh, how it went, right? We know how World War II went. We won't get too far into depth on it. Eventually, in 1943, President Roosevelt says, Eisenhower, hey, um, you're the supreme allied commander in Europe. So get back to your incredibly long title of supreme allied commander of the allied expeditionary force. And he is serving in multiple roles in multiple ways. And just, you know, it's, it's hard to understate, uh, or it's hard to overstate how much of an impact Ike had on world war two, uh, from a operational standpoint. Yeah. So the biggie is that he's in charge of carrying out the Allied assault on Normandy. Yes. In 1944. And the operation, of course, is called Operation Overlord. And there he goes. You know what happens. I mean, a lot of brave soldiers invade Normandy, changes the course of the war uh, on the European uh, theater. And he shows himself to be a powerful commander. And... He's like, hey, British, um, you're going to uh, do what I tell you to do. And hey, allies, uh, trust me, this is what we need to do. It's kind of interesting because, you know, we were talking about strong personalities. And George Patton, he was obviously a very strong personality. And he skillfully manages the situation when... Patton slaps a subordinate <laughs> and Patton gives some inappropriate comments about post-war policy and Ike handles this situation very well. He's a consummate diplomat yet he's firm. Absolutely. Uh, obviously uh, the Normandy landings, you know, had a lot of impact. They were they turned the tide of the war in, in a lot of senses. Um, but he's he's still struck by the fact that yes, this was a victory for us, but he's always mindful of the losses on both sides, you know, the the human costs uh, in this war. So you can see that you know Eisenhower is a brilliant military genius, um, great at maneuvering and tactics and everything else. But he also has a heart, and he's you know he's remembering um, the people who have had to sacrifice their lives for whatever cause. Um, with other with other side, uh, so that's certainly not not. We, we often think we often think of Patton as somebody who is like win at all costs. Who cares who we lose? And Eisenhower, even though he was you know it's it's war, it's terrible, but whatever. He's very much a more emotional, heartfelt kind of guy. Yeah, and speaking of heart, I mean, you know how you can see all of those horrific videos where um you know when the allies came in and found the concentration camps and you see all of the um propaganda that the nazis put together well ike was very strongly in favor of making sure that images and videos were taken i don't know if you say videos right film was taken of these death camps and other atrocities that took place at the hand of the Nazis. And he did that because he knew that there would be people someday 
who would deny the Holocaust. So Ike is largely responsible for making sure that these things were documented. Absolutely. Um, and we're trying to make sure that things are documented, you know, in podcast form, at least telling you about the different elected people we've had and specifically the presidents. And so we're going to do that in the next episode. Some more of talk about Ike, um, man, this is, yeah. Episode two out of who knows, uh, we'll, we'll finish up his time in the military and, and, uh, spoiler alert, work right into the time where he's running for president, uh, here oh. in the future. I know, I know it's crazy, right? We'll get to that. Yeah, eventually. Uh, in the Speaking meantime, of getting to that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of getting into that, you know, a brother's got to make some money, right? And it's very easy to support the podcast, and you can do so by using our handy dandy Amazon affiliate link. You don't need to do anything except type electioncollege.com slash Amazon, and you'll be ushered over there to, you know, that little website where you can buy anything and everything in the world just about. You can probably buy a Cessna. Have you ever thought about that? I'm going to buy an airplane today. I know you can buy like uh, small houses for sure. Yeah. yeah. One click. Yeah. Anyway, while you're one clicking away, all you have to do is type in our, our little handy dandy URL. Uh, as I mentioned, electioncollege.com slash Amazon. And you'll see nothing different, but we'll see a little... A little coin come into our pockets, which helps. And we always appreciate it when we get nice reviews over on iTunes. Head over to electioncollege.com slash review or just search for us on iTunes. You'll find us most likely. And uh, we'll be there. And, and you can be there for us and leave us a nice, hopefully five-star review so we can show our moms. Yeah. I know our moms would be really excited about that. We'll put it on the fridge. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time.